0: Hello and welcome to Design Is Everywhere, the brand new weekly podcast from the Design Museum. It's Thursday, April 30th, 2020. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano, founder and executive director, and I'm joined by your other host, the amazing Liz Pollack, our vice president. Hello, Liz.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: This is our second episode.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. And thank you to everyone who already subscribed and shared the show. Keep spreading the word. You know, it really means a lot to us.
0: It sure does. In this week's episode, with so many of us working from home, we're talking about remote work. We'll have a special guest host, Tracy Brower. She's a PhD sociologist and principal within Case's Applied Research and Consulting Group. We'll talk to Tracy about some of the unique considerations around remote work. Then Liz, Tracy, and I will chat with Richard Banfield. He's the Vice President of Design Transformation at Envision. Richard knows a thing or two about remote work, and Vision is one of the largest fully distributed companies with more than 700 employees around the world and no physical office space. Plus, we'll have our weekly dose of good design. Let's get into it. Liz, despite or maybe because of the pandemic, we are busier than ever.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, there's a lot going on at the museum, all virtual, of course. And we just launched a huge international design museum everywhere campaign to grow our membership and have members from every state and as many countries as we possibly can. So far, we already have half the states and countries like Austria, Brazil, Canada, Germany, Hong Kong, Italy, Japan, the list goes on. So please, 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 if you know somebody who lives in let's say Hawaii or Florida or Colorado, Spain, Costa Rica. Let them know about Design Museum Everywhere and that we are a museum that comes to you no matter where you live. Let them know that if they become members, that they will get free access to virtual events and cool discounts. And of course the Design Museum magazine that gets sent right to their door. And a cool thing that we're doing for this campaign is that we'll actually be listing out all of our members in our next issue of the magazine, which will be awesome to see everyone in one place. And we'll be updating the map to show all of our members. So, you know, we know that design is everywhere and we want to use this campaign to show it. So please help us spread the word.
0: Yeah, this has been a really fun start to the campaign. I didn't even realize that we had members <laughs> in all these places. So that's really cool that there's you know people in Brazil and Japan. I'm excited to see like what are the toughest places for us to get like, for example, I can't believe that we don't have a single member from Vermont and so like Vermont, I'm looking at you and if you know people there, let's do this.
1: We will Sam, we will. I mean, we literally just launched the campaign. So there's there's a lot more to come. I'm, I'm feeling confident um, and I know that a lot of people are gonna help us get there too. But with that said, we have some great upcoming events. I mean, last Friday we hosted our first event in our sketch series with Derek Cassio which was amazing. And our next Design Museum Live event will be a continuation of that sketch series with Patrick Cunningham from Perkins and Will, who will be doing some architectural sketching. That event is definitely for everyone across all skill levels. So definitely get your tickets while they are available because I will say they're going quickly.
0: Thanks, Liz. On to our main topic this week, remote work. Unless you're an essential worker, and if you are, let me just say thank you, But if you aren't, chances are you're working from home. And for many of us, this is a totally new thing, a whole new reality. At Design Museum, we were working from home on Mondays. Uh, We started that about five years ago, and it was great. Let's face it, Mondays are the hardest day to get up, commute, and so having that day to really focus and start the week off right was awesome. But working from home every day is a whole different story.
1: Yeah, yeah. For many of us, going to the office and collaborating in person in real time is just how our brains are wired and how we stay motivated. I mean, for one thing, working remotely, of course, greatly affects meetings. In our office, we're constantly hopping into a conference room, drawing on a whiteboard, and all getting on the same page. That's tougher now, uh, but not impossible thanks to tools like Zoom and Mural. One of our recent Design Museum Live virtual events went deep on the topic of remote meetings. Let's actually play a clip of that event that we had with Ryan Hoffman, who is the founder and principal of Staircase Strategies, talking about deciding when you do or you don't need a meeting.
2: If more than one person needs to collaborate to define a goal, align around a goal, or make progress towards a goal, you might need a meeting. And if that work cannot be done effectively asynchronously, so where we're doing things not at the same time together on a screen, you probably do need a meeting. But let's talk a little bit about when you don't need a meeting. There are, of course, exceptions to these, but these are some good rules of thumb. Anytime you are informing a group of people of something, information, new data, anytime people are passively receiving information, there's no Q&A, there's no deep dive into something, Try to do that asynchronously. And she also goes into strategies for designing
1: successful remote meetings.
2: If you are designing a meeting, you are not just designing that meeting. People's experience starts from the moment they have any prep and go through any action items or inter-session work you have through to the very next meeting. And so if you only think about designing your meeting, the experience is only going to represent what you've thought about, what you've actively designed. And so if you think longitudinally across time and across people's experiences, it allows you to go much more thorough and cover people's experience end to end.
1: And you can hear Ryan's entire presentation and see her slides on our website. Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org.
2: There
0: are so many facets to this. We are thrown into this new work paradigm within a global pandemic. Here to parse through some of these considerations is Tracy Brower. She's a PhD sociologist focused on work, workers, and workplace. She's the author of Bring Work to Life by Bringing Life to Work. And she's a principal with Steelcase's Applied Research and Consulting Group. She's joining us from the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. Welcome, Tracy. Thanks for being here.
3: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I'm curious, as I am with pretty much everyone right now, but you're the expert. How are you staying motivated and sharp during social distancing?
3: Ah, oh, it's such a great question, and you know I study this all the time. But you know the quote that says we study what we need to learn. So I don't have it all figured out. But in general, from a work standpoint, I just stay focused on the customer. A, a mentor told me that many, many years ago. If you're serving the customer or somebody who is, you'll be in pretty good shape. And I'm just really, really grateful. Our, we're going to be empty nesters soon, and so we've had all this amazing time with our. Senior in college and our senior in high school and we're going for walks and playing cards and taking the dog out and it's just it's been really it's been good hard but good i'm interested in just the massive scale of
1: this change you know um how are we as a global economy working you know we've been reading your pieces on working remotely and in inc and fast company and more uh but that was before covid19 even happened <laughs> What changes
3: have you seen to this paradigm? Oh, it's such a great question. It's just a huge, huge issue, right? It's a global experiment as we keep hearing. I think one is that there is greater acceptability in working from home. We have over the years worked with so many companies who say we can't possibly have our employees work from home. And all of a sudden, it's kind of forced the issue for so many companies. So I think there's greater acceptability. And I think there's greater kind of acceptability for crazy things that happen where, you know, a month ago, we might have apologized for the dog barking in the background. It's kind of a non-issue anymore. The dog jumps up on your lap and it's all good. So I think one is about greater acceptability. I think another one is about new levels of leadership like we've always known the best leaders are the ones who can manage by objectives and manage by outcomes and not need to be kind of watching whether you're in your seats with bright shiny faces every day and so that's something that's shifted as well and the third thing i think is that we're seeing this kind of new appreciation for the office, right? Like we might have taken it for granted in the past. You might have said, oh, I've got to, you know, do my commute this morning or, oh, that office, it's, you know, it's my office. It's not something I give a lot of thought to. And what we're hearing from people is I can't wait to get back to the office. I can't wait to get back to my work cafe or my conference rooms with other people or my ability to put sticky notes on the whiteboard together and kind of be elbow to elbow.
0: What are the the biggest challenges you're seeing and then I'd love to just dive in on like how we can give some advice to people who are living in this new reality.
3: Let's start with the challenges for companies because I think they're different companies versus individuals. So for companies what we're hearing is there are so many challenges around technology and just scaling technology and the infrastructure and that was frankly one of the reasons that a lot of companies hadn't gone to remote working already. I heard one of the companies that we work with was sending thousands of laptops to people because the happened so suddenly. And they were literally like had laptops in the mail to people. And it was an amazing kind of test of their infrastructure, test of their IT support, test of people kind of adapting and, you know, having a laptop arrive and not knowing what to do with it. And so that technology piece, I think, for companies and the infrastructure. And I think the other thing for companies is really all about communication and engagement and motivation. Like, how do you engage people when you can't see them face-to-face in in the flesh. I know we can see each other face-to-face on video conference, but it's not the same. How do you give people a sense of empathy? How do you make sure that people know that you're still kind of checking in and caring about them? And how do you get them motivated and engaged when they have so many new distractions and new roles that they're trying to conquer and deal with? So from a company standpoint, those are some of the things that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, the, the thing about technology, it's funny you mentioned, because we went on to buy some External microphones and some cameras, they're all sold out, right? The world is having to stock up on these devices. And then a whole new suite of software, whether it's Mural, whether it's Zoom, how do you ramp people up on that? Not everyone is like, oh, I'll just pick up this new software, no no problem. And then even when you get there, it's like, okay, well, how do we use it within our processes? And so, you know, how are you, have you seen organizations that have done it well, that have sort of said, okay, we're going to like, we got to pivot and here's our plan.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think the organizations that are doing it well are really focusing on training and kind of getting people's competencies up and I think they're also frankly just being really forgiving. There's the person at the beginning who can't get on or the person who drops off in the middle and there's just that like extra patience for the process because I think no matter how comfortable people were with technology in the past there's just this ramp up. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is how companies have been thinking about incorporating technology to a greater extent with their work processes right like when we're all in person together we don't have to think as hard about about it but if we're using mural now for a co-creation workshop that's a whole different thing and we've got to think about how those come together because you need to be successful by incorporating technology with the work process so companies that are doing well are being really intentional about that in my opinion But let's talk too about individuals. That's super interesting, right? Uh, There was a new study that came out from Qualtrics and they found that something like 75% of people were feeling socially isolated. And it was super interesting to me because the longer they'd been working on a remote basis, the more they were likely to feel sad and fatigued. People reported feeling distracted. They reported feeling a level of intensity that was kind of exhausting. So I think there's something about this kind of individual experience that people are having, both from a um, mental or emotional standpoint, but also from a physical standpoint. And so it's about it's about resilience, right? Like resilience is about a few things. Resilience is about being really in touch with reality, feeling like there's a sense of meaning that you can kind of get to beyond the crazy current reality. And then finally, feeling like you can improvise, like you've got the capability to kind of work through it. So it's interesting to look at that resilience factor and the extent to which people can really feel supported so they can feel more resilient getting through it
1: right you know it's interesting when everybody's in the office together like there's something that everybody's on the same playing field in that capacity right but working remotely everybody has their own set of you know hurdles that they're overcoming so how does an organization all of a sudden have whatever it may be 20 100 however many employees they have you know how do they make sure that everybody has what they need that seems like a lot of customization
3: Yeah, for sure. I think one of the really interesting things that's happening with companies lately, from a culture standpoint, companies are having to be so much faster and more nimble. And that is all about empowering people. And so you think about like we always define culture is what people do when no one's looking or how things get done around here with air quotes. And one of the things that we see is, oh my gosh, if we're not all together, if we don't have like easily centralized direction and leadership, how are people responding? And so I think there's this increasing appreciation for how we reinforce the kinds of behaviors that we want. I think there's increasing empowerment of individual leaders with small teams making decisions, empowering individuals to make their best decisions. Because to your point, you may not be able to get everybody on the same page with some, you know, blast communication or some town hall where we have 500 people sitting in a room together. It really is about kind of empowering people and giving them overall principles or guidelines and then, letting them go with that
0: well we kind of had to do at the design museum even was like what are our objectives right it's different when you're all in the office and like Liz said we're just chatting with each other and even setting the agenda for the day sort of organically and we quickly felt like we had to pivot and you know we are doing a a morning daily check-in which has been really nice but right from the get-go I think on like March 16th we said here are our objectives here are key results. We are all moving in the same direction. There is no room <laughs> to be, you know, off off this train. Um, but I want to go back to the to the individual and the, you know, some of the stuff you're talking made me think about wellness and just staying centered and motivated and healthy. And I wonder if you could give some advice. How can someone design their own experience?
3: I think one of the things that we can think about is routine. You know, we often talk about children and how they need routine, and we adults are just grown-up children. We need routine as well, not to constrain us, but to give us a sense of predictability so that we can be creative within those routines and within those boundaries. So I think routine is one. I think another really smart idea to design your own experience is to manage your own boundaries. Sometimes I think we can hear that people are just marinating in the news and the social media, and it can just really drag you down, frankly. And so I hear people who are just making plans for themselves. I'm going to you know, listen to the news 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes after dinner and not other than that. Or we're not going to talk about COVID-19 over dinner. Like you're setting some boundaries that are reasonable, right? You're still staying informed. And I think, you know, some, some of it is just about kind of the basics, like making sure that you stay connected with other people. We know that motivation and a feeling of really solid well-being comes from those connections with others. We are fundamentally social as humans, no matter where we are in the introversion, extroversion continuum. So that's a big deal. Getting enough sleep is huge. Obviously, eating healthfully and moving. But sometimes when you're working remote, you're not moving as much. You're sitting in front of a screen. You have that intensity of a screen. And so you almost have to remind yourself of some of those basics. But those go a long way toward well-being that can help you feel like you're performing more effectively overall, which contributes, again, to well-being because you're feeling like you're making a contribution. I take a train in and out of work every day. And i
1: that's a moment in time that I didn't value before. It was just like, oh, I got to do it to get here. But that's like a time to unwind. It's a time to transition. It's a time to put on a different like mindset. And man, I miss that, right? Because if you just get up and walk to the next room and your kids are there, you are not in a different mindset. You are still there.
3: Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I think the funny thing, I've spent so much time researching work life is traditionally, we've talked about how do we keep work out of our life. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is when you go to an office, you get to leave some of that behind, right? Like, I've got those six loads of laundry to fold, or maybe having a little argument with my partner, I get to go to work. And I think you you need that time to reflect. And the other thing that I think is super related is, you know, how we all all have this disorientation, like what day is it? What month is it? Right? Like, I'm not sure if that happened last week, or the week before or yesterday. And that also has to do with the fact that we don't have memories that are locking in based on space. You know, when you're together, you go like, oh, remember we were in classroom six and or remember it was that idea on the post-it note on the right hand side on that pink, pink sheet. Those are like memories that lock in because it's part of a visual memory and part of a spatial memory. But if you're always looking at the same screen all day, every day with a similar background, you don't necessarily get that the the big question i have i guess is is the cat out of the bag for remote
1: work right like are we going to see coming out of covid-19 are we going to see a lot more companies working remotely that weren't, right? They were kind of resistant to it before, but now it's kind of proven that it can work and there's a lot of upsides to it. Do you think this is going to have a big impact moving forward?
3: Totally. I think that we are gonna see this impact us for the rest of time, potentially, because I think that as we were talking about, companies that may have been resistant, some of those points of resistance have been overcome either by choice or by necessity. And it's kind of like we talk about neuroplasticity, that the brain isn't elastic, as in I stretch it and it goes back to the way it was. The brain is plastic. I stretch in a new way and it stays stretched. And I think we see that with society, with us as individuals, with our brain chemistry. So those tech challenges that we overcame or those management challenges that we overcame or those work process challenges that we overcame, all of those will end up being really, really good in terms of expanding the boundaries and expanding, frankly, the choices that we give people over time. Because this is all about choice, right? Choice is so good for people mentally, emotionally. It's so good in terms of the extent to which we feel like we can contribute. And so when people can choose where they work and how they work to a greater extent, and even when they work, that's all good for us to be more effective as individuals and as organizations.
0: Thank you, Tracy, for your amazing insights. Listeners, check out her book, Bring Work to Life by Bringing Life to Work, a guide for leaders and organizations. And Tracy, stick around. We'd love to have you join our conversation with Richard Banfield from Envision.
1: If you like this podcast, then you will love Design Museum Everywhere. It's the museum that comes to you wherever you are.
0: That's right. Design Museum Everywhere is all about making design education and inspiration accessible to everyone.
1: Become a member today and join a global community of design thought leaders and change makers. Everyone can be a designer. We can all appreciate and advocate for the transformational impact that design can have.
0: Membership starts at just $3 a month. And you get access to virtual Design Museum live events, discounts, and our Design Museum magazine sent right to your doorstep.
1: Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org to join today. And your name will be listed in our next issue of Design Museum magazine, which will be sent to Design Museum members all over the world.
0: That's designmuseumeverywhere.org to be part of this global community. And we're back. And I'd like to welcome a friend of mine to the show, Richard Banfield. He's the Vice President of Design Transformation at Envision, a great title for a great guy. In addition to his work at Envision, he's the author of several books, including Design Sprints, a Practical Guidebook for Building Great Digital Products, and Product Leadership, How Top Product Managers Launch Awesome Products and Build Successful Teams, all things that are relevant to this discussion. He's joining us from outside Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome, Richard. Hi, Sam, and hi, Liz. Thanks for being here. I'm curious, just right off the bat, we're in these extraordinary times. How are you staying inspired, staying creative during the outbreak?
4: I think inspiration is, is probably very subjective. I'm not sure what would work for me, works for everybody else. But I, I think that my creativity isn't lacking. It's more the productivity. And I've got to try to find a balance between that, making sure that you've got a routine that, that does inspire and re-energizes you. Because there's a lot of things right now that are sapping all that energy out, one of the things that people are looking forward to is getting back to the office and seeing their friends and seeing the people they work with. And honestly, I think a lot of people are also trying to get away from the, from the things that are at home. Some of those things are about two feet high um, and tend to interrupt just about everything. So, yeah, you know, I'm trying, trying to stay inspired, but at the same time, I'm also giving myself permission not to be at 100%
0: when all this news was coming out about COVID-19, you know, in mid-March, I definitely, you know, was at a low point. I was like, oh, the museum, what's gonna happen? And one of the first things I started to see on social media were your posts and some of your colleagues' posts from Envision. Uh, from what I can tell, and you can tell us more, there was a you know, an annual meeting planned and you guys quickly turned it into a virtual event. And even had a virtual cocktail party and folks dressed up. And I'll be honest, seeing those posts like right at that moment, it just gave me so much hope. The fact that you guys were thriving during this pandemic, you know, was really awesome. And so I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about that and how it came to be virtual and what the impact was.
4: Sure. So the context is we've always been remote since the beginning of the company. So it's in our DNA. So we haven't had the same kind of transition pains that a lot of people have had. However, we do do a lot of events. We do a lot of in-person meetings. We meet with our customers face-to-face. And this event that you're talking about was our annual revenue kickoff, big big event that we were gonna have in Orlando, Florida. We have about 250, 270 people that we're gonna fly down, come from all over the world, actually, to meet there. And this has been planned for several months. It's supposed to happen on the 1st and 2nd of March. And we made the decision to do it virtually. And we made that decision about a week before the event was happening. One of the reasons why I think you got a positive message out of all of that was, first of all, I think our leadership really stepped up and took, took a really you know, hard look at this and said, what's the right thing to do? Are we going to be remembered because we had a great time and, and a hangover in Orlando? Or are we going to be remembered because we kept people safe and, and this is the right thing to do at the right time? We just felt like it was the right thing to do. And we just didn't want to put our people in harm's way. It's not the same, but it doesn't have to be the same. It just has to be fun and enjoyable. And you also don't need to cram like 12 hours of things into your day. Just, you know, conferences tend to be like eight hours of meetings and conference stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then you got to go for dinner. Like, well, we said, nah, it's being on Zoom for five, six hours a day. That's about enough. I think everybody can like, <laughs> wait for that. And you know, make sure that you're not feeling that that the reality of having your kids or your pets interrupt you is a concern. Being a remote company that really isn't, you know, very often, my four year old will come and sit on my lap during a meeting. And that's just normal for us. So we played up to that. And, and since then, we've actually had a lot of kiddo days where people just meet, bring their kids, we, we have a, a product called freehand, which is a whiteboarding virtual whiteboarding product. And we just get on there and we, we have fun with that.
1: I'm just wondering if you could tell us about, you know, like a typical day for you, you know, for many of our listeners, you know, they're, they're just getting into the swing of remote work. And I know for you and your colleagues, you know, you've been doing this for a while. So what is a typical day look
2: like?
4: I'm a very routine oriented person. I generally get up early workouts So before COVID that would have been normally a bike ride or some kind of workout. I travel a lot. Uh, at least before COVID, I did. And so I'm normally, you know, at the gym at the hotel, or walking or running or something like that. And then I get started, and I'm trying to get the work that I need to get done, what I call deep work, I try and get that done first. So that's normally early in the morning after my exercise when I'm feeling my best. And then really, it's a series of, of meetings, mostly zoom meetings, or if I'm traveling in person meetings, my routine is a little messy right now, you know, it might mean that I don't do my workout every single day, or I do it on a morning and then afternoon ritual versus uh, every morning, and the days kind of blend into each other. So Monday feels like Sunday, and Saturday feels like Wednesday, just because they, you know you've got the kids home. So you know I'm I'm very much a fan of what Tracy's recommended: these small habits of routines and and building a framework for what works for you. There's a good book called uh, The One Thing. And the one thing asks the question, what's the one thing that'll make everything else easier or unnecessary? So if that's the thing that you start your day or your week or your month or your year with, then that's how I prioritize myself. So I have a a one thing for the month, I have a one thing for the week, and I have a one thing for the day. And that tends to create a downward or a downstream positivity flow. So you've got You know, you do that big thing, you do your, the one thing, as they say, if you've got to eat a frog, do it first thing in the morning, get that done. And then, and then you can start, you know, focusing on the things that are maybe less important or have been made easier because you've done that other thing.
3: I'm really curious about relationships and how you foster great relationships among your team. I heard you talk about getaways and I heard you talk about virtual cocktail parties and I heard you talk about collaboration tools. What are the other things that you really kind of focus on in order to have people feel a level of proximity and relationship with each other when everyone's remote?
4: The things that you think are going to help you build relationships like those you know, happy hours or virtual town halls, whatever, those are actually fairly superficial. They're not really things that build relationships. They're good with conveying a message or being a, a communication tool. But what really helps you build a relationship Is an authentic conversation one on one with the person that you're talking to. So, or in a small group, you just have to get over this idea that it's, you know, that a virtual conversation is no different from a real conversation. So, you ask the same hard questions, you have the same emotional level conversations that you would have. You show your emotions, you're empathetic. Uh, One of the things that I do like about remote is that. I'm inside of your world. You've invited me into your world. I can see you know, what things that you've got around you. I can see that your dog or your cat or your, your kid is interrupting you. It, it gives me an, an empathetic perspective to you that then helps me build some empathy towards what we could create as a relationship. So I think the problem that we sometimes walk into with these conversations is that we assume that virtual is less but it's not it's just different it's just just a different kind of thing
3: one of the things we hear about is that a lot of times the greatest innovations come from situations where there are the most barriers like it's easy, it's it's kind of easier to be more innovative the more barriers that are limiting you quote unquote and i wonder how you think about limits and barriers like you're always you're always having to meet a business issue or or meet a design challenge or meet some level of constraint. And I wonder how you think about innovating in that kind of situation.
4: It's very difficult to be creative in an unconstrained world. And and that's why brainstorming sucks. Because you walk into a room and you say to a bunch of people, hey, listen, let's just start brainstorming what potential solutions might work. And then everybody's just coming up with garbage. But if you do and I'm obviously a big fan of design sprints, so if you place constraints and you say, well, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Where are our assumptions? Where are the things that are, you know, where are the boundaries, as you said, or the constraints that we need to work in? And then play in that space, you come up with an amazing set of potential answers or potential solutions that you can then experiment with.
0: You have no physical space. We've established this. Or people who are listening who are like, yeah, maybe we will keep this remote thing going. What are some of the, you know, I'll call them corporate benefits, you know, benefits for the, the company that come from being fully remote?
4: So the most, I suppose the best one that's not the most obvious is talent acquisition. On my team, I've got people all over the world. I get people who live uh, deliberately in places like Moab, Utah. Not only are you creating a pool that's much larger from a talent point of view, but your talent can actually get better value. So you know, we're paying good salaries, but these people can go and live wherever they want. And then I think the other thing is you're giving your customers an opportunity to be in a relationship with you that, doesn't, that isn't confined by geography. We have tens of thousands of customers, all the Fortune 500, and we have a relationship with all of them, right? We, we, we talk to them on a regular basis. I spoke to people at Home Depot and I don't have to go to Atlanta to go and meet them and set up a Zoom call and we're talking to them. And sure, one day we may meet in person, but we don't have to, it's not a requirement of a relationship. So as Tracy asked earlier, like how do you develop relationships? You, you, you show up as an authentic being and you show up as a person who cares and trusts and that comes across in Zoom, comes across on the phone, comes across in your texts. You don't, it's actually a fallacy. And then Malcolm Gladwell wrote a really good book about this called Talking to Strangers. It's a fallacy that you have a better relationship with somebody you meet because the assumption is you can trust somebody you've met more, and it turns out that's false.
1: Is this rubbing off on your clients? Do you think that more companies will adopt the way of working moving
4: forward? Absolutely. So the first thing that happened once the lockdown started, and this was obviously kind of a wave that happened starting in, in Europe and then moving, or actually in China, but moving through our customers in Europe and, and eventually to, to North America, was a lot of them reached out immediately and said, hey, you guys are remote, you're good at this, you've been doing it for years, how do we do that? So we, my team sat down and wrote a book in two weeks called Remote Work and we published that book and it was easy to write that book because that's what we do every day. And, and, and we jump on calls and do workshops on remote work almost every single day, even though that's not what we sell, it's not a product of ours, but it's something we're really good at and we can convey our learnings and hopefully our experiences to them they can adopt those to their own businesses some companies are realizing that maybe they don't need an office so there's a company called jeff 700 people and there is no single building in valencia that can accommodate 700 people it's not a big town so they had five buildings with all of these different junior business units and now everybody's remote and they're asking the question do we need to go back to that? Do we need that environment? Maybe we can save ourselves, you know, a couple of million dollars a year. So there's real savings, but then there's also the: can we learn from this? And to Tracy's point, can you have a relationship with people that isn't biased towards being in the same room or being in the same kitchen? Because we know that the data and the the facts prove that that's not real. It's just a perceived thing. So these companies are going to find out very soon that that bias that they had is no longer valid or no longer relevant anymore. And that can actually change things.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Listeners, I highly recommend Richard's books. They're visual. They contain a lot of insights and practical knowledge that anyone can use. I love them. You will too. Thanks, Richard. Okay, it's time for our weekly dose of good design, where we share some piece of good design that impacted us or others in some meaningful way. Liz, why don't you kick us off?
1: All right. So like I said last week, my weekly dose of good design is definitely coming from what's around me at home. So since we've been home for about a month now, I'm ultra aware of what my kids play with the most and what's it, what gets their creativity flowing. Without a doubt, their favorite thing to play with is Legos. They can build these incredible structures that have symmetry, an entire storyline, and it's hands down what they spend their time doing most of the time. So what I love about this is that I remember playing with Legos when I was their age. It was actually the first time that I realized that I wanted to be an architect. I would spend hours designing entire cities. And you know, it makes me think about so many kids are doing the exact same thing. They're currently figuring out that they have a passion for design. Maybe they will also pursue architecture like I did or engineering or urban design or product design. I mean, there's just so many Endless opportunities from such a simple toy. And I just think it opens doors. So I'm just feeling really grateful for Legos these days.
0: Yeah. And uh, you're going to love this and you're probably going to laugh. <laughs> but my weekly dose of good design is also Legos.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> I love it.
0: It's very clear that Liz and I are at home with little kids <laughs> and playing with Legos all day. It's but all I'm gonna day. keep going. <laughs> my weekly dose of good design comes from Nerdist and a handful of master Lego builders who are creating these mind blowing structures that just don't look possible with normal physics. And certainly my kids are not building these types of things. So they're called tensegrity structures. I'm not sure exactly how to describe them. I'll definitely post a video on our episode page, but there's a base, you know, it sits on the table. And then there's this other element that kind of is floating above it. And they're connected by three either strings or chains but the top piece appears to be just floating in midair. And you just have to see it. It's wild, watched a bunch of videos about it. I went way down the rabbit hole on it, came to find out that the term tensegrity was coined by Buckminster Fuller, the famous designer and architect. It's obviously a combination of tension and integrity. Which is pretty great he coined it to indicate the integrity of the structure is actually derived from the balance of tension versus say when you build a house and stack bricks and you're using gravity and that's compression and so i just found it really interesting and started to read about some people say that the human body is a tensegrity structure right our bones are sort of floating within tension and then lastly as i was learning all about this i learned that bucky fuller was born in milton massachusetts which i never knew And it's not very far from where I'm sitting right now. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, so check out the Lego tensegrity structures on our show page. And hey, try to build one this weekend if you're up for it. Last but not least, Tracy.
3: My design for today to talk about a minute is a Batonardi golf club. Just before all the golf courses closed, my husband got this awesome new golf club. It's got a great grip and it's weighted in a brilliant way so that instead of an arc putt, you can have more of a straight putt. It's hand painted on the bottom so it's kind of craveable in terms of the brand. But this is the part that is so cool. It's actually brilliant for the older golfer (laughs) because It's shaped like the cup that the ball goes into, and then it's got like a grabber, and so you can grab your ball and pick it up without bending over. It's brilliant. (laughs) It's brilliant design.
0: Very cool. You'll have to send us a photo if you're up for it, because we'll definitely want to include it on the show page. That sounds really cool. I'm a golfer, so I'm into it. Thank you again to Richard Banfield and Tracy Brower. You can find links to their books and work on our episode page at designmuseumeverywhere.org. You'll also find links to some of the other resources we mentioned on the show. Also on the website, check out our ongoing sketch series with some of the cool virtual events coming up, including May 12th with Patrick Cunningham from Perkins and Will doing some architectural sketching.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun.
0: We can continue this conversation online, like us, follow us, all the things on social. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find us by searching Design Museum Everywhere.
1: And remember to subscribe to Design is Everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast and rate us. That really helps people find us. And you can also just tell people about us. You know, you can tweet about it and tell your friends, spread the word. We're just really excited about this new show. We want to get the word out.
0: Yes, please. If you know someone that loves design, send them a quick text with our link, designmuseumeverywhere.org. Trust me, they're going to love it. This episode was written and edited by me, Sam Aquilano, and produced by Ryan Flom, with production support from David Goodhart. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave, because you know we love that orange. For Liz Pollack and the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thank you, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Bye, everyone.